Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. The health benefits of wine seem to be endless. It lowers cholesterol levels, reduces the risk of cardiovascular disease and cancer, and may even extend your lifespan. Having a glass or two of wine each day has even been recommended by the American Heart Association. But unfortunately, there's a dark side of the industry. Thanks to a lack of regulation and labeling, most wine sold in the U.S. contains massive amounts of dyes, pesticides, residue, toxins, and excessive sugar. To say these additives are unhealthy is an understatement. Joining me today is Todd White, founder of Dry Farm Wines, who will share the dirty truth about wine from irrigation to fermentation. He'll also share how we can choose healthy, organic wine so we get all the wonderful health benefits without any toxic additives. Don't go anywhere. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is a leading authority on healthy, organic wine. He's a sought-after lecturer on everything there is to know about the topic. After traveling around the globe working with small family farms committed to producing pure, natural wines, he founded Dry Farm Wines. They are the largest lab-tested natural wine merchant in the world. Welcome to the show, Todd White. Thank you, Doctor. Happy to be here. There are lots of dirty, dark secrets about the wine industry. Oh, I know. I've been looking forward to this uh, segment because, uh, you know, I'm a big wine lover. And boy, you you opened my eyes to quite a few things. First, share with us your story and how you became interested in wine. Well, I've been a lifelong wine aficionado. I've been actually drinking wine since I was about nine years old. And I uh, moved to the Napa Valley. I just fell in love with wine, moved to Napa more than 20 years ago, and uh, had spent a lifelong journey of drinking wines from around the world. And situated myself in the world-famous Napa Valley just because of the lifestyle and wine was here, and it was just uh, really spoke to me. So I, a few years ago, about five years ago, I became ketogenic, and I've been on a ketogenic diet more or less the last five years, and a whole bunch of other biohacks. I've been a lifelong kind of biohacker, experimenting mm-hmm. with health and fitness and rituals and regimen. But I, when I became keto, and I was also aging for you know, and I'm in my late 50s, and I just found that I couldn't drink conventional wines anymore. I was, they were making me feel bad and sickly and uh, hangovers, and I, I really thought it was just the higher alcohol. Alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin and mm-hmm. a very dangerous drug. Now, it has some benefits, but, but, but we need to be very careful with it, which is why we only sell and drink lower alcohol wine. So wines have been increasing in alcohol for the last 30 years because the wine industry loves alcohol. As, as goes much of the public, alcohol is addictive. It's also, it's also a domino drug. So the more you drink, the higher the alcohol, the more likely you are to drink more, right? And so right. for these reasons, I mean, the wine industry certainly, it also adds, wine adds boldness and density. Uh, alcohol adds boldness and density to wine. So for these reasons, the, the consumer and also, you know, wine companies like higher alcohol products. We don't. I like to say I love drinking wine. I don't love alcohol. And so, and so it's, you know, I, I, I at first thought it was just a higher alcohol. As I began to experiment, I discovered lower alcohol wine being made in Europe. And so, which I didn't have any knowledge of before I learned about it quite by accident. 
And from learning about lower alcohol, I then stumbled quite accidentally upon what at the time was the natural wine revolution that was just beginning in central France. And what natural wine means is that's a very confusing term to consumers. When I say natural wine, they're like, well, aren't all wines natural? And they're not for reasons I'm going to explain to you in a moment. But natural wines are, in our case, irrigation-free. There's a Given our limited amount of recording time, we don't have time to go down many details on all of these items. But So in our case, they're farmed organically or biodynamic. And biodynamic farming is a prescriptive form of organic farming. They are irrigation-free. The only reason you irrigate is about money and greed, right? Grapevines have been growing all over the earth for over 10,000 years in some of the harshest climates anywhere without irrigation and continue to do so today. So irrigation-free, they are fermented with wild native indigenous yeast, which is, which is indigenous to the vineyard where the grapes are grown. Almost all commercial wines, and I don't care what you pay for them, whether it's $15 or $150 a bottle, are fermented with lab-grown, genetically modified yeast. Natural wines are always fermented with wild native yeast, which is found on the skin of every great, every great berry in the world. In addition to that, there are no additives or alterations. As you mentioned at the opening of the show, the FDA approves 76 additives for the use in winemaking in the United States. In the EU, there are 56. Four of these 76 additives that are approved by the FDA, and all of what I'm telling you is available online in a simple Google search. Just search FDA wine additives and you'll see the list. So there four of these 76 are very toxic. One of them is so toxic that when it is used in, in, in winemaking, it has to be applied by a specially licensed contractor who comes in in hazmat suits. No one else can be in the winery. And if you drink the wine within 24 hours of application, you could die from it. It's that toxic. And so four of these additives are, are, are quite toxic. And so we don't, the problem is, as you mentioned in the opening of the show, since the wine industry has spent tens of millions of dollars in lobby money to fight and successfully keep contents labeling off of wine, you don't know what you're drinking. Except with our wines, which are independently lab tested by third party certified analogists on our behalf, uh, we also have relationships with all of these small family farms. We don't sell any wines from the United States. There are no wines made in the domestic market that meet our standards of purity and health. So this is just a little bit of what's going. The other thing that's happened, same thing that's happened in our food supply. We've had massive corporate consolidation in the wine world. So the top three wine companies conglomerates in the United States manufacture over 52% of all the wine sold. And the top 30 companies in the United States make over 70% of the wine that is consumed in the U.S. or manufactured in the U.S. And so now these multi-billion dollar conglomerates, they don't want you to know about that. So they hide behind tens of thousands of labels. They want you to believe you're drinking from a farmhouse or a chateau, when in fact all that wine you see on the shelf most of it is made in huge manufacturing facilities in Central California. So that's kind of 
kind of the overview of what's happening. Yeah, and you bring up California, and we've heard a lot about the glyphosate in the news lately, the chemical used in Monsanto's Roundup that's been linked to cancer. I read a study a few months ago where 100% of the wines tested from California contain this toxic chemical. Todd, many people drink wine for its health benefits, and it contains a chemical that causes cancer? What's the deal with that? Well, here's the problem. Here's what, here's what they believe. Don't know for sure. But yes, there have been two studies. One that was done last year, and another one that was done about two years ago. They both came to the same conclusion. The glyphosate, traces of glyphosate were found in both organic farms and conventionally, industrially farmed grapes. And they believe that it's coming through the irrigation potentially because when glyphosate or Roundup, which is the number one used herbicide in U.S. vineyards, right? It's, right. it's used all over the place. And you can look at a vineyard and tell if it's been treated with glyphosate, right? And so a natural vineyard looks very much like a forest, that there's no plowing. They don't turn, they don't, natural farmers don't turn the earth because when they turn the earth, all of the organisms and the insects, the millions of organisms are beneath the surface of the earth making for living soils. When you turn that soil over, those organisms are exposed to the sun and killed. Mm-hmm. And so a, 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 a natural vineyard looks very much like a forest. It's got tall grasses and wildflowers and and all kinds of biodiversity, right? And so because they want to collect, they want insects to come in. They want to create a balanced, biodiversified uh, living space to promote right. and uh, living soils. But here's what the glyphosate, all, over 99.9% those U.S. vineyards are irrigated. Now, you only irrigate, as I mentioned earlier, for money and greed. Irrigation creates a bigger yield, and when it might not surprise you, when you fill a grape berry with water, it weighs more. And grapes are sold by the ton. So the more they weigh, the more they're worth. That's what irrigation is about. Irrigation is also lazy farming. It's easier to farm an irrigated than a non-irrigated vineyard. So that's, but they, they suspect that the glyphosate, because Here's the thing. The way Roundup is applied in a vineyard is not like it's applied in a field, right? So in a right. field, it's typically applied by drones or by airplanes. Right. This is part of the problem with, you know, organic wheat being in, in the Midwest. Organic wheat farms are being contaminated by this overspray. But that's not how it's applied in a vineyard. It's applied very close to the ground. So the risk of overspray to a neighboring organic farm is thought to be quite low. They speculate that it's coming through the irrigation because most, almost all organic farms in the United States for grape farming are also irrigated. Right. What about, tell us about mold. I mean, I've heard you talk about that. Share how that gets in our wine and what the health risks are. Well, I'm not an expert on the health risk of mold, but as you know, people like Dave Asprey are quite prolific about about the risk the respiratory effects of mold and and I'm not an expert on the health effects of mold but let's but it just, just doesn't sound it just healthy. if you tell someone they're drinking mold forget health risk it doesn't sound healthy <laughs> right so the so mold can form on the fruit uh-huh. um, the, the the primary mold of concern also in coffee is, is uh, ocrotoxin a which is a mycotoxin uh-huh. we test all wine for mycotoxins. And so in the U.S., I might add, this is very interesting, that the, that the uh, FDA and the uh, TTB, which oversee alcohol and, and regulation in, in the United States, 
lab testing is not required for mycotoxins in the U.S. And U.S. wines are not tested. The only time a U.S. wine gets tested for mycotoxins if it is exported outside of the United States, where nearly all other developed countries that buy wine, including all of Europe, require mycotoxins on all wines. It's not required in the U.S. Wow. So we really... uh. USA is not the way to go. I know people that drink USA wine get headaches after they drink it, and then they say they go to Europe and they drink the wine. It doesn't cause that reaction. Why do you, Why do you suppose that is? I think it's a number of reasons. It, 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 I, I can't drink U.S. wines anymore. I get a headache from it immediately. Right. Uh, the last time I drank it, I drank a, I drank a very prestigious uh, red wine on an airplane last year that uh, sells for about $90 a bottle grown in Northern California. And immediately, within, oh, a minute or so, having, you know, a couple of sips, I get I get this headache. You know, not blasting, but it's just like this little this, this, this discomfort. But I think it's probably for a number of reasons. We don't really know what it is, but it could be. It could be they're very, they're much higher in biogenetic amines like tyramine and histamine. They are also generally uh, exposed to a lot of new oak, and we believe that methanol and other uh, impurities are coming from these these new woods. Natural winemakers right. never, but or historically, used uh, new wood, in, in fact, and in part because it's so expensive. And so natural wines are always fermented in either neutral oak. Oak will go neutral and impart no flavors or or uh, chemicals after about five or six or seven vintages. And so it could be it could be the oak, the new the new oak products. It could be the extraction. So California wines is a winemaking style. And this is really a result of the most influential wine credit uh, of the last hundred years, maybe in history, named Robert Parker. Right? So Robert Parker today is weighs about three hundred pounds, is on two canes as a type two diabetic. Right, just had a lifelong love affair with sugar and drank Coca Colas all day long. It's known, you know, when doing tastings, drank Coca Colas all day. And so the thing is, his palate was very deadened, very blunt, and and liked a very bold, rich, high alcohol wine. And because he invented the hundred point scoring system, and the consumers didn't know how to buy wine, so they would go in and buy ratings. So getting a a rating from Robert Parker was a guaranteed, if 90-plus rating was a a guaranteed ascent to financial success. So winemakers around the world started following Robert Parker's style or his palate in order to get his rating. And this influence has changed the style of winemaking all over the world, certainly in California. And so you Winemakers started producing these fruit bombs, these high-alcohol, highly-extracted, big-oaked, high-alcohol wines. And so the extraction is when you when you um, macerate a red wine, right? And, and so maceration means red wine gets color from contact with the skins. So right. if you squeeze the juice from a red wine grape or the juice <clears throat> from a white wine grape, they're both clear, right? And then right. you put... Skins in the tank, skins in the feed, that's where, and also, beneficially, where red wine gets, it's more than 800 polyphenols, flavonoids, non-flavonoids, and antioxidants. Those, most of that comes from the contact with the skin and the feed. 
white wine has just over 200 of these polyphenols. So most of the benefit from red wine, the health benefits, including resveratrol, are coming from contacts in the skin and the seed. Well, if you leave that skin and the seed uh, macerating, soaking for a really long time, you get a more extracted and a darker, richer red wine, right? And so we believe that these extended extractions are also contributing. The fact is nobody really knows, but these are, this is not the way natural wines made, are made. And you know you drink our wine. So right. here's what you do know. When you start drinking natural wine, you're going to feel a lot better, right? And we can't pinpoint exactly whether it's genetically modified yeast, whether it's extractions, new oats, sugar. As you mentioned, there's commonly sugar residual. Sugar is not added to wine, but sugar gets in wine from what's called residual sugars when the winemaker intentionally kills the yeast prematurely to the fermentation completing, leaving residual sugar behind in the wine. But we know that sugar and alcohol are not friendly together. i give you the best example for listeners who've done this. If you have a shot of tequila, right, that's a very different experience than drinking a margarita, which is full of sugar, right? right? And so, which leads to terrible hangover. So we know that sugar and, and, and alcohol together are just not very friendly for the hangover environment. There's something compounding there. True. Yeah. And uh, how much, if you've got a bottle of wine, how much sugar's in there? Is, is there added sugar? We're talking about the white powdered sugar that's thrown in there? No, 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 no. Sugar is sugar is almost never, almost never added. It is a winemaking technique to kill the fermentation, leaving the way wine is made is that yeast uh, is inoculated to this sugar-filled juice, right? right? So you squeeze this juice from the, from the wine grape, and it's full of sugar. And then the yeast activates, and the yeast begins to eat the sugar, right? And so... In the process of eating the sugar, the yeast byproduct is ethyl alcohol and carbon dioxide. So that's how wine is made. If the wine is allowed to fully ferment, meaning that the, that the yeast eats all of the available sugar, it will be fully fermented and sugar-free. But what's happening is that the winemakers are using sulfur dioxide to kill the yeast intentionally before it completes the full fermentation leaving sugar behind in the juice. So it's not the sugar is added, it's that the yeast is killed prior Got to it. complete fermentation. I know. And as, as, as you know, I'm a member of your dry, war, dry farms wine club. I love all the varieties that it gets shipped to me. It's like I'm a, I'm a kid at Christmas opening the box, all the new stuff. Can't read it because it's not from this country, but I love that. It's like, Hey, that's really coming from the good places. But, uh, I, you, you, you mentioned there's no labels in the American versions. And then, you know, you've put a label. You let us know that there's, there's no sugars and it's, it's low in the nitrate. Share with that why that's important. Why, why is it hidden from us? Why is there well, no label? We do. Well, why there's no labels because the, the, the wine industry is lobbied to keep labeling off of wine. There's been many efforts to get labeling on wine. The wine industry has been successful in Washington, D.C. and paying off politicians to keep labeling off of wine. But here's, here's what we do. First of all, we taste, you know, we work with hundreds of small family farms around the world. We have four growers in South Africa, and the balance of them primarily are spread across Europe. And so we we only select, of all the wines we taste, we only select 30% of the wines to make it through our protocol. So 
either we don't like the aesthetic, because they're not using all these additives and chemicals to regulate the process, sometimes natural wines are quite funky, right? And so, and that's celebrated in a large large part of the natural wine community, the hipster community, these funky wines are celebrated. We don't buy them, we don't like them, we consider them to be faulted wines. And so, but, so only 30% of what we taste and lab test actually make it into it has to meet all of our farming criteria. It has to meet all of our winemaking protocols. It has to meet all of our fermentation protocols. Then we taste it, and if we like it, then we lab test it. After all that, only 30% of the wines that we end up tasting make it into our program because we do all these independent lab tests. It's really important to us not to drink additives. It's very important being ketogenic. Or, and which is my whole staff is either low carb or keto or it's certainly sugar free. Being sugar free, we don't want to drink sugar in our wine. I don't want to drink glyphosate in my wine. I don't want to drink sulfur dioxide in my wine, right? I don't want to drink uh, any of these additives. And so this is taking winemaking back to the way wines were made 100 years ago, right? You started seeing industrial farming and, uh, and mono agriculture, um, uh, away from the polyagriculture and the biodiversity that was the natural form of farming, this started to happen in the 1920s, right, when industrial chemical plants yeah. were being developed to make farming cheaper and easier, right? And so yeah. this has been going on for 100 years, more than 100 years. So back in the, these wines are made the way wines were made, you know, in the late, in the mid-1800s and, and backwards. That's the way all wines were made. In fact, I'll tell you another. I'll tell you another interesting fact: irrigation, which leads to higher alcohol because it leads to higher sugar at the time of picking, right? And so, the higher the sugar is at the time of picking, the higher the corresponding alcohol will be at the time the fermentation is done. Right. So, irrigation <clears throat> did not come to grape farming in California until 1973. Prior to that, it was dry farmed, right? And right. as you know, the name of our company is Dry Farm Wine. So dry farming is a foundational tenet to, to how we believe that grapes should be grown. Look, irrigation is the first intervention into Mother Nature's logic in grape farming. Grape knows how to go find itself nutrient water. You need to put water on it. True. Yeah. Let me ask you, I know we, 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 this segment just flew by. I know we had so many listeners send in some questions about wine. I want to have you back. I think that'd be great, like the most commonly asked questions. But I did have one that even I was wondering. Donald, Donald Mitchelson asks, how do I store an open bottle of wine? I've tried so many vacuum wine savers, but after a day, the wine still tastes like vinegar. Great question. Any, any way to save, save wine if we don't finish it? Well, I just recommend finishing it off. <laughs> and uh, and that, that'd be your best solution. Natural wines would taste perfectly fine the next day, and and I drink them. I drink them all the time that they've been open the next day. Uh, there's I, I I don't use any vacuum. I, I just stick a fork in, and sometimes I just leave it open. And uh, you just don't want to expose it to heat. Let me add this one other thing. When you mentioned about wine drinking, the single most important thing is to drink your wine at the correct temperature. Right. So most red wines are served too warm. And so it's really important to, you want to drink red wine between 55 and 60 degrees. So stick it in the refrigerator for about 20 minutes while it's still corked, or submerge it in ice water for about 10 minutes. And that will get you to the correct temperature. But most people serve red wine at room temperature, and it's a huge, huge fault of the service of red wine, and it doesn't do you or your red wine any favors, though. So. 
starting wow. in the correct temperature is important. That that's interesting. Let me ask Shelly McIntyre has a good question. Some people might wonder: Are wines with a cheap twisty top less quality than wines that come with a cork? That's getting popular. Seeing well, these twisty not, tops, uh, they're 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 known in the industry as closures, and so there are a number of different closure types, including the twist top. There's now a glass closure. There, the twist tops are becoming very very popular. And here's why. They're a little cheaper, right? But that's not the driving force. The driving force is that natural cork can contain a, a bacteria called TCA that, mm-hmm. that, uh, and that causes the wine to spoil, right? And this happens to about 5% of corks. And so um, even in natural wines, it has nothing to do with the wine. It is, it is inside the cork. Right. And so that's the reason that they're... They're, they're, these alternative closures are very often cheaper, and they're also synthetic cork. So they're made out of synthetic material, not natural cork. That's another form of closure that you'll see. But yeah. no, the, the, the top, while it is cheaper to produce, it has no, it has nothing to do with the quality of, of the wine, and it has nothing to do with the quality of the closure. Great. Uh, although I would tell you that most winemakers still close with cork. They do. Great. We got time for one quick lightning question. Uh, Kelly Arnold wants to know, do wine aerators really work or is it just a gimmick? Oh, I, th- I, think, that, I think that there's something to it. I mean, I think when you aerate a wine, I don't, we don't do it. It's mm-hmm. not necessary for, for, um, for natural wines. I think natural wines are made and taste completely different. I think these aerators are beneficial for these big, big wines, these big high alcohol extracted wines, which need some space or just too in-depth. Right. So I think aeration is probably a benefit to those wines. For natural wines, it's not necessary. They're just not mm-hmm. made that way. Great. Well, fantastic. Boy, time flew by. We appreciate you joining us. Definitely got to have you back. Wow, we could have took this thing to another uh, another half hour and learned so much from you. You've put some needed light today on the dark side of the wine industry, and you've debunked some popular wine myths. If you want to learn more about great-tasting, organically grown, non-GMO, sugar-free wine that doesn't contain harmful chemicals or mold, won't give you a headache, go to dryfarmwines.com. They offer the world's only natural, lab-tested, health-focused wine club. I'm a member. That's dryfarmwines.com. And to follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, they're at Dry Farm Wines. For my daily Facebook and Twitter post, I'm at Dr. David Friedman. On Instagram, follow me at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Todd share something today that somebody you know that loves wine needs to know, send them a link to this podcast. It's available to yourgoodhealthradio.com or radiomd.com and peruse our podcast library. Share these segments with friends, family, and coworkers, and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself. Sharing is caring. You can also subscribe Subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.